The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Medtronic. Medtronic is dedicated to the pursuit of life-transforming health tech. From AI to robotics and beyond, we're reinventing what's possible, and we're just getting started. Visit Medtronic.com to learn more. LinkedIn presents... I'm Maura Ahrens-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever. We look at stories from business leaders who've dealt with anxiety, depression, or other mental health challenges, how they fell down, how they pick themselves up, and how they hope work will change in the future. If I told you your anxiety was a gift, would you laugh in my face? Now, I don't want to sugarcoat anything. Living with anxiety is hard. I know from my own experience. But I believe anxiety and other mental health issues can really be a gift. They can be our leadership superpower. The Anxious Achiever is a show on a mission to reframe how we think about leadership, anxiety, and mental health. We're here to open up the door and be more honest about the struggles people face with mental health in their careers. We'll also look at the connection between high performers and the emotional and mental struggles they go through. Because we have 40 years of data showing that emotionally intelligent people are better leaders. And when you go through mental health challenges, it can help you really know yourself, really know what triggers you when you're faced with fear and stress. And that can awaken you to what triggers others. And that, that is a quality people crave in a leader people who understand themselves, who have empathy, insight, and who understand what makes them tick and what makes those around them tick too. Good, strong, effective leadership comes in many forms and it does not require psychological purity or perfection. Strong leaders understand their mental health and they take it seriously. So let's break down those taboos. I'm thrilled you're here, and we're so excited to join the LinkedIn Presents family. Please send me feedback anytime. Message me on LinkedIn or send me an email at anxiousachiever at gmail.com. Now, on to the episode. It's not easy to come out about mental illness in the work world, and it can be even harder when you're in charge of a company. Jillian Stun was born into a business family, but she didn't think she would necessarily enter into it. She also grew up with a father with mental illness, but she didn't know it. The family hid it from her for most of her young life. She found out about her father's struggles right about the time when she was in college and realized she too had a diagnosable mental illness, bipolar disorder. Today, Stein runs Henry's, the largest specialty photo retailer in Canada. It's a fourth-generation family business, and they've been around for over 100 years. I spoke with her about the stress of running a business and why she decided to go public with her diagnosis as a business leader. Quick warning before we begin, we do briefly touch on the topic of suicide in this episode. I have to ask you, I mean, what's it been like running a brick-and-mortar store during the pandemic? Um, I think there's things I'd rather be doing, I guess I could say. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a challenge. It's been a challenge. I think we've fared as well as anybody 
could, but the the strength of our business is really in the service that we provide. And so that's very much a hands-on face-to-face experience. And it's also about like being able to come in and touch the product. Yeah. And so when you literally can't have customers come in your store, that causes a, you know, a lot of challenges. I would imagine. I'm so curious because, you know, I guess I'm a I'm a creator, right? I'm recording in my closet. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not using any audio. I'm not using any video equipment. How has your business, an old business, right, thought about servicing a whole new generation of people who are creating pretty high-tech stuff in their closets? Well, so that's where I that's where I get excited. Yeah. So our business was really founded on that very traditional photo enthusiasts. So you can, you know, really picture whether it's a a birder or portrait, you know, photography. My husband. (laughs) And which are wonderful, right? I think it's, it's fabulous. But obviously over the years, the industry has changed. And so while the, you know, a lot of people in our space would see the the smartphone or as others call it, the camera phone, mm-hmm. um, you know, as disrupting the industry and being a negative, I actually see it as a positive. And for our business, for Henry's, we see it as a great opportunity because there's now more people who are creating, creating content than ever before. That's cool. Um, well, let's dive in because cameras are not really the reason I ha- I'm having you on the show. Um, you are CEO. we We've established your business and you have bipolar disorder. How does that play out every day? Does it play out every day or is it more a thing that you think about monthly, yearly, less? You know, it's a good question. Um, When I was young, it was something that was something that I would have thought about daily. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was actually just talking with someone the other day about how I'm at a point in my life where it isn't. It's, uh, I mean, I take my medication daily, so, you know, I, I pop a few pills every evening, but that's sort of as far as I go on a daily basis thinking about it. I'm always thinking about my mental health, but I don't feel like, um, not, I know I don't, it's not having bipolar disorder isn't something that defines me on a daily basis. I think because those of us who have been travelers with a pretty serious mental health condition, you know, we do sort of live in a state of somewhat anticipation. Like every once in a while, there's a warning sign, right? You think, mm-hmm. oh gosh, is this coming back? Have you had one of those recently? I, the way I look at it is, is I'm somebody who is very attuned to mm-hmm. my mental health. And so, and I know I just said it, it isn't something I think about daily. I guess the having bipolar disorder is not what I think about daily, but my mental health is. And so every yeah. day I'm constantly checking in with myself. How is my mood? How am I feeling? Am I tired? Am I sluggish? Am I um, am I a little bit too, you know, too hyper? Is there something that's changed? And I'm sort of constantly adjusting. So I don't it's not something that I think you sort of, at least for me, set and forget and then wait until, you know, something big happens. It's this constant tuning. Yeah. So I can't, you know, obviously with like the pandemic, I can say, you know, that's been hard and there's definitely been sort of periods of, you know, lots of people have talked about languishing and, and no question that that's been a struggle. Mm-hmm. But again, no sort of, oh no, this is coming. What's going to happen next? Because it's, I'm, it's much more, I'm much more proactive than that. That's really remarkable because stress, of course, can trigger 
episodes, mm-hmm. right? And I would yes. imagine it's been very stressful running a business during yes. the past two years. It has, which is why though then I like, so self-care is something that like as I'm going through this, you know, for the last two years, focusing on how do I make sure my, I'm managing my stress levels has been the top priority for me. Yeah. What made you want to sort of come out and talk about this? What was the impetus? Ah, so a few things. The, the sort of the trigger, I guess, mm-hmm. was, um, and this was a few years ago, so, you know, it's taken me a few years from when I said that I wanted to start to to be more public about, about the challenges that I have to actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say this was probably about three years ago um, where I was at a funeral. I knew the husband well, and his wife had had died by suicide. And they had two children who were in their... Uh, late teens, early 20s, you know, just getting to that period where they're, you know, launching, right? Mm -hmm. And a time where I can only, you know, when I think back to being that age, how important it was to have my mother. And, uh, And at the funeral, they never talked about how she died. Uh, the kids couldn't talk about, I don't even know what they know. I don't know if they knew how she died. I don't, but they definitely couldn't talk about it publicly. And I just remember sitting there thinking, how are these kids going to grieve? How are they going to overcome this? You know, they are probably thinking that they're partially responsible for it. And sitting there realizing that, you know, something we think that, you know, we think the stigma, we think we're getting better. We are getting better, but clearly we're not good enough at eliminating that stigma. Mm. And I just felt like I'm part of I'm part of the problem. If I don't speak up and if I don't speak about my story, then I'm perpetuating the stigma. And I just felt like it was time for me to say, no, you can, you can be successful, you can be happy uh, with different mental health challenges, with mental illness, but you need to be able to talk about it so that then you can go and get help and support. And then in terms of, you know, that was about three years ago. And then sort of coming to, I guess it was about a month ago where I made it very public. Mm-hmm. I guess it felt right for me. Part of it is I needed to be in a space where I could handle it. And that definitely didn't feel right to do in the middle of the pandemic, for sure, mm-hmm. as I was going through my own challenges. Uh, but I think our community needs it. I definitely know that our employees, you know, need it and everybody's struggling wherever I go. You know, mental health is such a huge, a huge um, challenge that we're all struggling with coming through this pandemic that we have to talk about it and we can't. I just, I couldn't wait any longer. I'm curious, this is kind of a like logistics question, but when you're the CEO of a big company and you're not Elon Musk, who I guess just <laughs> tweets whatever the hell he wants, but um, <laughs> you can't just be like, la, 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 I'm bipolar and, and leave it. Like, was there a strategy? Did you have to talk to your family, to your board? How did you approach it logistically? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's true. You can't. And that's probably part of the reason why people don't just speak about it. Um, for me, I'm very lucky that it's a private business that I run mm-hmm. and it's a, and it's, and it is my family. And so I have the support of my family, which is also the board, but we did talk about, uh, what are the risks, right? What would happen to some of our, you know, partner relationships? What would happen with our banking relationship, right? Because the, the concern is always that you're really, 
at the end of the day, you know, it's, can you be trusted? You know, the bank cares most about the leadership team. Are they people that, you know, will be able to carry out the plan that they've said that they're going to? And so we had to think really hard about whether this was going to have a negative impact. And I think we all agreed that at this point in time, that it was safe to do it and that, you know, if there was going to be a company that was going to have an issue with it, it wouldn't be everybody. Uh, and if that's really where somebody's values are, then that's likely not somebody that we would want to do business with anyways. And we were prepared that if we needed to, we would walk away. But it was a, it was a lot of conversations to say whether this was the right thing to do. And ultimately, I think we all agreed that the potential positives and benefits far outweighed any of the risks. Was anyone's reaction surprising to you? Surprisingly positive, I would yeah. say. I don't think I expected. I haven't had anything negative, but I've been surprised at how many people have shared their own experiences. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe I shouldn't be because, you know, if you look at the statistics, clearly everybody in some way, or shape or form is going to suffer or know some, have somebody very close to them who has suffered from mental illness. But I was definitely surprised with who came forward and what they said and what their stories were. Now, of course, this wasn't just your story, because not only do you work in a family business, but from what I've read, your family shares a mental health history in a yeah. way. Can you talk about that and then how that family dynamic played out in sharing? So it goes back, as far as we know, it's hard, you know, mental illness is still something that's relatively new. Yeah, We believe that my, well, we know that my grandfather um, died by suicide. And, but we believe that he had bipolar disorder. That's the mm. part where nobody actually knows for sure. We believe that he had, he had bipolar disorder. My father uh, has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and he struggled with it when he was younger. Mm. Um, I think, you know, the sort of the silver lining is that because of uh, what happened to my grandfather, both my mother and my father knew what could happen mm -hmm. and were therefore very, very diligent about mm -hmm. looking out for signs and symptoms and taking action. Mm -hmm. And even at a time, you know, this would have been in the, you know, late 70s, early 80s, it still was not, seeing a psychiatrist was not particularly, you know, popular. Uh, the idea of medication was still very new. So getting help and talking about it at that point was definitely something that wasn't very common. Yeah. Uh, but they they made that a priority. And so we didn't necessarily grow up in a house where we, we didn't talk about the fact that my father had bipolar disorder. Uh, it wasn't until I was uh, in my late teens, just before I got diagnosed, that that I found out and realized that my grandfather didn't actually die of a stroke. It was your experience of your dad? His he was so well managed that like you didn't he didn't go up and down and he didn't. No, no, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> he was my dad's experiences of sort of the highs and lows were in general he he had a lot more lows mm -hmm. um so definitely leaned more towards the depression but his highs really manifested in work mm -hmm. and he worked a lot mm -hmm. so for me growing up he was just at work a lot and as a kid you don't really you don't really think twice about that and i would imagine in that era as the man who runs a big company growing company too like working a lot and being a little hyper probably worked for him at some level when it was working. When it was working. 
And and that's that's the thing about it is is and sometimes people talk about sort of the benefits of mm. bipolar, and I guess. I would say the one thing is you can't control is when you have your highs and when you have your lows. Exactly. So, and it also depends on what your highs are, right? You can, there can be, you can engage in really destructive behavior, both with the highs and the lows. So luckily, you know, in his case, it was overwork and then burnout, but he did end up having a heart attack when he was 47 because he couldn't handle the stress. Wow. Yeah. That's a high price to pay. It is. I mean, he, he built a fantastic business. But, um, and the good thing is that from that, he learned that he needed to step back and he needed to change his lifestyle and he did. And he's, Mm. and that's probably part of why he's much, um, much calmer and happier today than he was when he was, you know, building this great business. So did you find out about his bipolar at a similar time when you found out about your own? How did that all unfold? Um, I was probably my, I guess in my last year of high school and, there was some things going on, I guess, with some of my friends in personal life, and he felt that it was the time to to share it with me. And that was about a year before I got diagnosed. I don't think he necessarily saw that that was something that was coming for mm-hmm. me necessarily, just the way the timing worked out. Were you shocked when he told you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What about your mom? Because... There are others in your family who also suffer from what I've read. How does that shake out, running a family business and having a family with complicated mental (laughs) stuff? My mom is our rock. Yeah. So my mom is the one who keeps an eye out for everybody. She's tough as nails. Um, But she makes sure that you get the help that you need and you can't wallow. Mm. When my dad was younger and struggling and they were first married, you know, she said, I'll leave you if you don't deal with this, right? She threatened him with divorce and he, and he, luckily he listened. Um, wow. You know, so when I was first, um, or just before I was diagnosed, but when I had sort of my first sort of real episode where clearly something was wrong, uh, I was living in Montreal at the time, I was in university, and she was, uh, we're from Toronto. And she, you know, I called her, she got on the plane the next day and was there to help me. What happened? Yeah, so I was, um, I still don't know why I was there, but I was at the airport in Montreal. I, 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 to this day, if I was supposed to be picking somebody up and I didn't pick you up, I apologize. But I was at the Montreal airport And for some reason, I was convinced that I was actually at the airport in Phoenix, Arizona. And I was actually, in reality, planning a trip to Arizona. So there was some logic here, but I had this moment where I thought that I was in in the Phoenix airport and I needed a bus schedule. And I needed the bus schedule from Phoenix to Tucson. And so while I'm standing in the Montreal airport and I'm asking them at the information desk, you know, for the bus schedule to Tucson and they're looking at me like I have three heads. Of course, I'm screaming and yelling at them. You know, how could they not? And and I'm having sort of this I, very explosive reaction. Mm. And I guess the good thing is you can't see me, but I'm a I'm five feet tall. So I'm a very small, petite woman. So I think the only positive here was that because I was so small that, you know, nobody was worried that I was going to do any damage to anything. But it was a, it was a pretty explosive moment. Mm. Um, and then I, you know, rushed out of there 
you know, frustrated, angry, couldn't understand, you know, where I was, what was going on. I still don't know how I got home that day. And all of it is still, like, other than that moment when I'm in the airport and when I'm pulling out, you know, getting out of the parking lot, everything else is, is very gray and, and foggy. You know, my mind had just betrayed me. Wow. And what happened after that? What happened when you got home? So like I said, I don't, I don't really remember, huh. which is the scary part. There's a lot of that first year of university that I don't remember and not for the fun reasons that most people don't remember their first year of university. Um, part of it, I guess, is, is I'm very good at uh, compartmentalizing. And if I, you know, something, I don't want to remember something, I'm, I'm really good at forgetting it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's also part of the sort of the having that type of experience is you, you don't remember it all. Right. So all I know is that at some point I called my mother and I'm assuming that I hid in my room until she came. I was living in residence at the time. And so I would have, you know, had shared space of everything. And I probably just would have hid as much as possible um, because I was scared. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Medtronic. Medtronic is dedicated to the pursuit of life-transforming healthcare technology. From artificial intelligence to robotics and beyond, health tech is reinventing what's possible. Every year, Medtronic improves the lives of 74 million people, and we're just getting started. Visit Medtronic.com to learn more. Can I just ask a little bit? I mean, it it sounds like you've been remarkably sort of well-managed, but do you think you tend more towards the manic than the depressive, unlike your dad, or? Um, probably. I think it's easier for me to go low than it is for me to go high. To be honest, what I don't know what I would be like if I wasn't medicated. That that's the that's the part that's the unknown. Yeah. Right? It's been so long. Are you ever curious? Very. Very yeah. curious. Very <laughs> curious. You know, I'm tempted to play around with it, mm-hmm. um, but not enough to risk, you know, um to risk being where where I once was. Yeah. I had um, Paul English on the show who uh, co-founded Kayak, you know, which he sold for $2 billion. And he's bipolar. And he said that the highs would be worth his whole fortune if he could Hmm. capture that feeling in a bottle. So I listened to that podcast the Mm. other day. um, And I was was fascinated because I actually, I I don't know, um, I'm curious to... In the research that I had done, I was, I was, as I was talking about going public, is there's very few CEOs who have actually, have actually gone public, very especially few. about, about having bipolar disorder. So I was very excited to hear, to hear that podcast. You know, everybody's experience is different. And that's the interesting thing about bipolar disorder. It's, we're not similar, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's highs and lows, but how those manifest are very different. And, so one would be that, you know, some of us experience um, that psychotic element, right? Where you, or delusions, where you think mm-hmm. you're somewhere, you think you can do something, but you, you know, you're not, it's, mm-hmm. it's not based in reality. And that can mm-hmm. be really dangerous and scary. I also find for me that, that the mania can be extreme irritability. Um, and, and so that's not good either. 
right? So you sort of have these, or I have these, you know, very high expectations and I can go at a certain pace, but others around me can't. Mm-hmm. And then the, the irritability that comes with that is, um, it's not fair. It's not fair to other people and it doesn't feel good. So that, so for me, it's not something that I am trying to go after. How have you come to know yourself as a leader? I mean, you, you were diagnosed so very young, way before you worked at the company, right? How do you think that your bipolar diagnosis and this knowledge affected both your ambition and the way you sort of set yourself up as a leader? I mean, did you know you were going to be CEO of the family business when you were no. in college? No, that was never the plan. Never the plan. Um, no, my life has taken many twists and turns. My career path is very um, confusing, yet somehow I'm, to me it makes perfect sense. I think I've got a lot of diversity. It brings lots of different perspective to the table. But uh, I guess I would say that all of us, you know, our leadership styles are influenced by who we are in our past experiences. So no question, having this experience along with everything else has, has shaped me. For me, I think that it um, makes me really appreciate the value of diversity and not just, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, gender diversity and uh, ethnic diversity, but there's also diversity of, you know, thought, which is ultimately what we're, we're trying to, to get to. And, you know, I have two children who are neuro, neurodiverse. So, you know, you think about just how our brains work and that's important and, you know, I definitely have um, this, I guess, deep personal experience that makes me say that, you know, you never know what someone else is experiencing. So I'm, I'm very quick to not judge. Makes me sort of spend more time trying to understand people. Mm. There's always more to a story. It gives me a sense of curiosity. Um, and it's very humbling, right? Mm. And that, you know, I feel is... For me, one of my strengths is that I'm very comfortable to consult and surround myself with advisors and make sure that there's, you know, I never want to be the smartest person in the room. I want to surround myself by people who are experts in their area and I want to be collaborative. And I think that that comes from, you know, a curiosity, that humbling experience that I'm not, you know, my style of leadership is the opposite of command and control. It's funny because Paul was very much that kind of leader too, but the the image of the fanciful, I want to say Elon Musk inspired manic Mm -hmm. CEO is the opposite of that, right? It's like charging forth into unknown territory, unafraid, blah, blah, blah. I think that's dangerous. Yeah. But I think it's dangerous for any business. So whether we're talking about somebody with mental health uh, issues or just, you know, good governance is important. Mm-hmm. For any business of any size, right? And if you look at a public company, there's a reason why there needs to be transparency and there's checks and balances and appropriate reporting. And even though, you know, I work for a private family business, I feel it's really important to bring those good practices into our business because I think that's what keeps that's what keeps the business stable. Um, it's how you manage risk. And if you just have one person, who is making all the decisions, then regardless of their mental state, like no one person should ever be able to make all the decisions. I think that's dangerous. So, you know, even in our business, I'm the CEO, but I can't, you know, sign off on any major contracts or spending without, you know, a second signature. And Mm. I like it that way. Yeah. 
What other guardrails? You've mentioned collaborative, um, sort of trusted people around you. You've mentioned exercise. What other guardrails and infrastructure do you have in place to stay well? So on the personal front, it's a lot about the self-care. So whether it's Mm -hmm. the exercise, sleep to me is the absolute most precious thing that I will protect. To me, that's (laughs) the biggest trigger Mm -hmm. of stress and and then from there, any sort of potential you know, um, ups or downs. And so I will protect sleep at all costs. Um, my number one priority. I'm very open with, with my immediate family. My husband is somebody that I've said from day one, it's like, you know, you have at any point, if you see something that doesn't seem right, if you see a change in my behavior, I need you to call it out if I don't notice it myself and help me advocate. So that's really important. And again, the build. I've been very deliberate about the network that I built around mm-hmm. myself. Um, and so I'm part of a, an organization. I'm part of YPO, a Young mm-hmm. Presidents Organization. And within that, you know, we have our we have forums where it's you know groups of CEOs. And the the value of it is that it's a group of people who are all committed to being vulnerable with each other. There's incredible amount of trust and um, confidentiality. So the Mm. expectation that you can say absolutely anything to the people in this group and know that it won't go anywhere and they're there purely to support you and not even to give you, not even to give you advice, but just to support you. And that has been incredibly important, especially ever since I took over the business and and they say it's lonely at the top. Well, you need that around you. So that's really important. And again, and then in the business, it's, I, I think it's no different than any other business when it comes to governance. My last question for you is, as you're talking to media and business media about this kind of stuff, what do you want the business media to know or do their homework on when it comes to mental illness? Because I think we are going to see more stories, thank God, as the stigma lessens, but the media has to cover it right too. They do. And I think the first part is is actually covering it. So, mm. you know, as you say, I, I agree. I hope we hear more stories because statistically it's impossible that there that there have not been more. You know my joke when I'm at a when I'm at a gathering and people say, Well, what do you write about? And I say I write about anxiety and leadership. People always say to me, Are there anxious leaders? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, What? The most. The most. Yeah. <laughs> But but the thing is, is that, you know, there's a lot of talk about depression and anxiety and that in general, you know, that has become much more normalized, mm-hmm. but it's still not normalized in the business community. So even if we're talking about, you know, starting from ground zero, which is we need to be, we need to be much more open. We need to talk about it more so that there isn't this, you know, to be able to show that you can be successful. You can be trusted. You can run a business. And there's no reason that you shouldn't be supported in the business community is really important for that story to be shared. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jillian. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you helping me share it. That's it for today's show. Throughout the season, we really want to hear from you. 
On an upcoming episode, we'll be diving into the perils of negotiating when you have anxiety. I'd love it if you share your story or any questions you have about mental health and negotiation with a voice memo or video. You can send it to anxiousachiever at gmail.com or message me on LinkedIn. Our show is produced and edited by Mary Dew. Our assistant producer and sound engineer is Nick Krinko. Many thanks to the LinkedIn Presents family and to all of our guests for sharing their stories. If you love the show, tell your friends, follow us, and leave a review. You can always tweet me at MoraAM or find me on LinkedIn, where you can follow, message me, or subscribe to my LinkedIn newsletter for more from The Anxious Achiever. Thanks for listening.